the biggest mistake I see people make with self-publishing is they don't have a marketing plan. They don't have any sort of launch plan and they don't have a set of people, readers to promote their book to. You have to have readers. You have to connect with readers, whether you are self-publishing or traditional publishing. It starts with connecting with your readers before you have a product to sell. This is a Soulfire production. You're listening to episode 122 of Yes And with me, Judy Holler. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Advocare, a wellness company on a mission to support your health needs with high vibe resources and products. And guess what? We have a code. Use YesAnd15, that's YesAnd15, every time you shop to get discounts and support this podcast when you do. All right. What's up, fam? Welcome back. Welcome back to the show or welcome to the show. If you are new here, y'all. Okay. If you want to be a writer, if you want to write a book, if you want to self-publish, if you want to get traditionally published, if you have a lot of doubt as you move through your writing, whether it's creating copy for your website or your social media, if you just want to understand the publishing industry and all of your options a little bit better, uh, today's podcast episode is going to be for you because we are talking to novelist and author Rhea Fry. She's one of my faves. I just finished her book, um, Secrets of Our House. So good. And I'm about to start reading her first book, a novel called Not Her Daughter. And can I just say something? This is my first ever novelist uh, on the podcast. And like the fact that I told Rhea, I go, I'm kind of fangirling because you are like the only novelist I know. I know so many um, really badass personal development writers. And she's penned a couple personal development books too, but she is a straight up fancily published is that a word? Fancily? I just made it a word. But novelist, you guys, I mean, she writes incredible books and has really grown up in this kick-ass creative environment and has now brought that upbringing into her home and into the way she lives her life and is a wife to her husband and a mom to her kids and uh, a writer to her books. And it's just such a cool conversation. She also lifts weights and um, is really into fitness and just has a really cool outlook on life and creativity. And we tap into all of that today. Okay, so before we go any further, I got to read you a DM I got um, from Jen Waters, who's one of our House of And members. We have a monthly mentorship. Uh, I'll link in bio to that if you want to join us. Uh, I have classes every month, uh, a live office hours every month. I bring members onto the podcast. We're going to be hosting our first ever members only live event in July in Chicago. I can't give you details yet, but it's coming and you can only come to this free event, by the way, if you are a member of our House of Anne mentorship. And anyway, so Jen Waters wrote this in and I love it. Jen, if you're listening, what up, girl? I'm sharing this on the airwaves because I love it so much because I think this is so important. And I think it's a really cool segue to the conversation I'm about to have with Rhea. So here's what Jen writes. She goes, holy hell, I took your advice and I am on my first ever 
mini vacay with myself. I chose Palm Springs. I've never been there before. And this whole thing is like a giant fear experiment. I wore a blouse with my front tucked in on the airplane. I did not bring my work laptop. I ate dinner alone. I even had coffee not wine. And tomorrow I'm wearing a swimsuit and sitting in a rented cabana all day. I feel scared, but like good scared. Turns out my room here is 1929, the year my dad was born and my room opens to the 12th green on the golf course and his ashes were scattered on the 12th green. To me, that's all I needed to know that I'm exactly where I needed to be this weekend. Like, why does that make me tear up every time I read it? And that is exactly why I'm sharing it with you. That is what it looks like to yes and your damn self. To say, yes, I'm busy, air quotes. Yes, I have a lot going on. Yes, my world is disrupted. Yes, I'm a mom with all these kids. Yes, I have a lot of priorities and obligations. But you know what? And I'm a priority too. And I can do hard things and live to talk about it. And The universe is always aligning. It's always unfolding exactly as it should. I mean, room 1929, her doors opening to the 12th green, the same green number that her dad's ashes were scattered on. Hello. She is exactly where she's meant to be doing exactly what she's meant to be doing. And the universe is reminding her that that is what it looks like to bet on yourself and to open the door to what's possible when you do. So these are the transformations, guys, that are happening inside our House of Ann mentorship, inside our community. If you are not riding along on our private Facebook group page, what are you waiting for? Join us, link in show notes. If you're not on my Instagram page, what are you waiting for? Link in the show notes. And yo, if you are not a part of our monthly mentorship, Yo, what are you waiting for? My goodness, for less than two bucks a day. Uh, Lean into what's possible. Build community, build confidence. And most importantly, get your ass in a position to send me DMs like this because you're out there kicking open those new doors. Okay, so let's get Rhea on the podcast. A quick backstory on her. Who is she? She is the award-winning, multi-published, best-selling author of several nonfiction books and four domestic suspense novels. Not her daughter, because you're mine, until I find you in Secrets of Our House. She's been featured in Us Weekly, Entertainment Weekly, Glamour, Marie Claire, Hello Sunshine, and more. She is also the CEO and founder of Right Way, where aspiring writers become published authors. Her weekly podcast, The Real Story, talks to real people about real shit. I was on that podcast, by the way. We're going to link up in the show notes. And aims to demystify the publishing industry for writers everywhere. I love it. It's so real and raw and authentic. It's good shit. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Let's get this party started. Here's my conversation with the spectacular Rhea Fry. All right, Rhea Fry. Rhea Fry, I cannot wait to share you and your story and your magic with the fam today. So I've got to ask you, um, I know you have a lot of adventures. Where are you today? Are you home? Are you in, where do you, where are you right now? Yes. Where am I? I am in Nashville, Tennessee. I am at home. I work from home um, and I have a separate little writing studio. However, it does not have Wi-Fi. So when I'm doing these types of recordings, I have to be inside my own house. 
I love it in the actual home. And I love it. If you could see her right now in true novelist fashion, she is surrounded <laughs> by books, uh, which yes, yeah. we're, which we're going to talk about today. And she's wearing this super chic sleeveless white ruffly shirt. Um, and her guns are a blazing. We're going to talk about those muscles <laughs> momentarily because lifting weights has changed my life. I've got to ask you, um, Rhea, are you getting to see Jessica Zweig while you're in Nashville a lot? Because yes. I know she's there. Actually, yeah. Actually her shirt that I bought from a closet sale she did um, a while ago, which is hilarious. But yes, we've seen each other several times and it's so it. fun. I just dog sat for her actually. <laughs> she was out of town. So it's so fun to be able to like go to her house, which Be is neighbors about, you know, with her. Yeah, it's so yeah. fun. Because I know you guys are so close. I love that. And you really, I mean, she released a book called Simply Be and you were a big part of her getting that process started. Tell me, is that just, that's a part of your work, the work you're currently doing in the world right now. Do you coach a lot of writers? I, that is my main gig. Is your main hustle. Call me a, book, a book doula. Um, oh, I love which that. Which I kind of love because I'm really helping them birth their ideas. They come to me with an idea and I help them try to land an agent, get a book deal, get their books out into the world if they want to get traditionally published, if they want to self-publish, then, you know, that's kind of a different process. But I truly work with writers. Um, most of them have not been published, but they are brand experts, leaders, lifestyle gurus of some sort and want a book to legitimize their brand or business. And so they come to my company right way and we help them get that book out into the world in a way that feels really, really good for them. Mm, I'm so here for that. And your podcast is certainly bingeable. Uh, the real, the real story um, produced. It's a, a right, right way production. Say that five times in a row. Right way, right way. I don't think I can. Um, my R's and my W's that they, they don't work together. So, okay. You're a writer. You help writers write. And you really put a lot of beautiful, my favorite part, honest work yes. out into the world about what the fuck goes on in the publishing industry yes. you and we're yes. gonna we're gonna go there today but before yes, we do course. that and that's what really brought me to you I, we have some mutual friends but then i started binging the podcast and i was like you know what this is the first time that i've really heard uh human beings <laughs> speak so candidly through tears and frustrations about what it takes and what it really looks like to publish these days. So before Rhea, the writer, um, mm -hmm. and, and maybe it is an answer, maybe the answer to this question is an answer in the moment, but I'd love to know, like, who is Rhea Fry? I love that question. Um, I would have answered that question very differently, even like a few months ago. But now my mm. answer is I am a human first mm. and foremost. And I think so many of us are so quick to label ourselves. I'm a writer. I'm a business owner. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm all of these things. And I have been defined by my doing for so long that I'm really trying to step more into my being and returning to being a human and really figuring out what that means for me, because we live in a hustle culture. There's so many, you know, there's so many distractions and so much noise and so much we could be doing at any given moment. And I've always been someone who has tied in my self-worth with what I am producing and what I'm accomplishing and what I'm 
putting out into the world. And I've really taken a step back these last two years to figure out the foundation of who I am without all of the accolades and accomplishments. And, and it has been such a humbling process, but now that is honestly how I would define myself is I am, I am a human, (laughs) I am a human being and, and really trying to figure out what that means for me. I love it. You know, um, you're a human being and we are human beings first uh, that just so happen as a byproduct of our existence to do things in the world. And that's, I love that perspective. And that's why I asked you the question. I think it's so easy to say, so tell me, who are you? Like, and I've read your bio, right? Like, so we get it. We get, but like, who is Rhea? So here's my follow-up to that. And I love that. So has Rhea the human always wanted to write? Like, were you a little girl going, I'm going to be a writer someday. Did you excel in writing? Like, tell me about how this talent became the thing. Yeah, it's so funny. No, so I did not tell myself that I was going to grow up to be a writer or a novelist. However, Mm. writing was the thing I was probably most passionate about besides moving my body. I had two main loves as a a child, and it was um, gymnastics. I actually wanted to be an Olympic gymnast. Um, no or way. a veterinarian That's amazing. <laughs> and, and writing. And my dad was and is an incredible writer, an incredible poet. And I saw him writing, 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 writing all the time, never tried to get published. Um, and I didn't understand, like most of us don't, you know, we grow up learning to be or wanting to be doctors, lawyers, things like that, that are going to, you know, quote unquote, make us a stable life. And I always wondered like, well, why isn't there a path to be an artist, to be a creative, to be a writer where we are learning about the business, learning to make money and not looking at it as a hobby. And I started thinking about those things early, but I used my love of writing to, um, write my own poetry, write my own stories. I was a huge letter writer. I used to write handwritten letters to all of my boyfriends and just, (laughs) I loved making people feel things with my words and I would enter competitions and things like that, but I didn't think it could be a, a profession. I just thought, Oh, this is a hobby. I'll never make any money at it. And it wasn't until I landed a, a, like a presidential scholarship, um, at Columbia for creative writing that I was like, what, you know, this, this could actually, this could actually be something, but I'd also gotten a lot of other scholarships for, um, I wanted to be an athletic trainer. I was salutatorian of my high school, valedictorian of my college. Like I loved school so much, but so I almost thought, well, being a writer, is that really using my education in the way that I want to use it? Because like going to school and sitting around and writing fiction all day, do I need college for that? So I was very confused about what I actually wanted to be. And in, in school, as you know, like a very traditional school model, you aren't raised to figure out what you're passionate about, what makes you happy, what you could do to fulfill your life and make money at the same time. It's all about like, what's safe, what's stable, especially being a child of the eighties. That was, oh my you gosh, know, here, here. Like yeah. The path. So I did take a big risk. And when I did decide to go to college, I mean, I got some pretty hefty scholarships for some, from some pretty huge schools. And I was like, I'm going to Columbia and I'm going to be a writer and we're just going to try this on and, and see how it works. 
Wow. Wait, are, so are you, where are you from? Where are you born and raised? So I'm from Nashville. So and Nashville never girl. Planned on, I am. I never planned on moving back here. Um, but life has a very strange um, way of bringing you back to your roots. So I love this city, though. I'm, I mean, I love New York. I love Chicago. I lived in Chicago for over 12 years. And I, um, yeah, I never, I never thought I would be back here. Okay, so you're back. And, you know, I really loved what you just said. And I feel like a lot of, you know, my listeners will sit back at that. This notion of we want to start the business. We want to write. We want to speak. We want mm -hmm. to build something creative, something different than what everybody else is doing. And I think so many of us are kicking the doors closed on a lot yes. of these corporate nine to fives. Like it's funny, I'm doing, uh, I'm teaching a masterclass on uh, Thursday in our mentorship and we're taking them to what I call like the fantasy floor in the house of, oh. the house of and right where we have to like let go of the boxes uh, and the rules and the like, oh my God, if I say that, what will people think stuff so that we can dream about something bigger so then we can go then do what we need to do to make that happen. And one of the yeah. questions I'm having them answer, and I did this exercise for myself, was this notion of like, what is the like threshold? Like I would rather die than, and my point is one of my answers, like literally Rhea, the first thing I wrote last night in my journal was, I would rather die than go back to a nine to five and sit in a cubicle, right? Can and I tell you something? Yeah. As, as a 40 year old woman, I have never worked a traditional nine to five. Wow. It is something I promised myself very young. I had very young parents. They got married at 18, had my brother, then me at 22 they worked themselves to death and they would come home at the end of every day and be so exhausted, even though they were so young and have to, sh you know, ship us to all of our sports. And we were always so busy and the house was always messy and it was just loud and chaotic. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that and constantly figure out how to make ends meet unless it's something that I really want to be doing. But I knew for yeah. me, I'm not going to find my passion in a building with, you know, countless other people in a teeny tiny little cubicle under fluorescent lighting, like absolutely not. It's never been my path. I've always been a freelancer. I've always done my own thing. And I have taken corporate gigs though, like writing gigs and had to go to the office, you know, here and there. And instantly I'm like, nope, this is, this is not for me. As a creative, I can't create in that vacuum, like under pressure, I need freedom. I need like to be in the flow and to have time to process and to create my own environment. And I have stuck by that my entire life and have never, 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 um, compromised that promise to myself. I love that. I'm so glad you added that because I think that's what makes the work you now do in the world so incredible because literally this is all you've done your whole life. You have written and created and built a business and monetized your brain and you really help people. Like, I guess what I'm saying, you know your shit, right? You've literally walked this path, path and you don't you know your shit, right? Like, and the failures, all of it, all of the things, all the things you've learned have really um, added to your resume of street cred. And, you know, listen, disclaimer, if you are listening to this and you go into an office, listen, there are so many great jobs oh, yeah. that Amazing. do require, Absolutely. right? 
But I love, there's so many great corporations that are also reinventing the way they um, create environments inside their corporate headquarters. Like if you walk into Marriott International, I do a lot of work in the hospitality industry. They have literal nap pods all over the place and people are encouraged to rest and recover. So my point is like, I think the days of cubes and fluorescent lighting are hopefully over because we do need um, people in all kinds of jobs. But for me, like I think understanding, and it sounds like you kind of fall in this camp, like what is that threshold? Like, what do I value? What is non-negotiable? Yeah. And she says her time, same. Like the end, I heard you say one of my favorite words your freedom, like the freedom to create the way you want. So this is like a beautiful segue into where I want to go next with you. I, before we get into the biz, okay, because I want to talk about the biz for the people that are like, (laughs) how do I write a book? What do I do? Well, we'll tap into your brain for a minute there. But like, I want to talk about your process. So you have this really cool, like tiny house in the back of your house. So you go there to create. It's got a lot of windows, crystals, oils. All, so it's, you're surrounded by beautiful things. Tell me, is that quite intentional? And before you had the tiny house, how did you write and where did you go to write as a mom with people yeah. around you, et cetera? Let's yeah, start so, there. <laughs> yeah. So I've always been able to block outside noise out when I need to concentrate. Like my husband jokes that he could literally be on fire if I'm writing or working on a project and he could like be on fire and scream for help. And I (laughs) would not even look up and glance at him because I have learned with a, being a mom and, you know, being in loud coffee shops in the past and all of that, like I have to be able to focus and concentrate. So I've honed that skill over the last 20 years of just being able to to block noise out. But during the pandemic, you know, when I officially started my business, even though I'd been doing it as a side hustle forever, I was like, oh, I've really got to take this seriously. I'm going to have a lot of client calls. We're starting this podcast. You know, I need a space that is not inside my house. And I had been looking, you know, tiny homes are, are very popular and it's, yeah. it's kind of been a really cool culture for a while. And there was a local company that I decided to spend my own money on, um, my author money, actually not the business's money. And I made an investment in this tiny home. I got a window seat built in it. I, I put it. a deck on the front of it. And I just wanted a space. It does not have Wi-Fi in there on purpose. Um, So I can go in, focus, write, breathe, meditate, think, take naps if I want to. And I truly believe creating an environment that you actually want to be in and that you want to show up to every day makes such a huge difference in the type of work that you do. Um, I I absolutely love to work. I'm a bit of a workaholic. Sometimes I don't go out to my tiny home. I can be in pajamas, working, working. I look up, it's three in the afternoon. And I'm like, oh, I haven't. I I hear that. I feel that on so many levels. (laughs) Like I feel that. The fact that I have to walk, you know, to, to that tiny home and I ground, I always walk out there barefoot, tip my face to the sun, go in there for however many hours. It does not have a bathroom in there. So I have to, you know, walk back to my house to take breaks. Um, but it is, it's been such an amazing change. And my husband who works with our business and he is an artist, he is also getting one that he is putting next to, next to mine and we'll have like a fire pit 
maybe a hot tub between the two of them. So we can both be out there and have our separate space. Um, because having that space, creating that physical space, I feel creates mental space as well to do your best work. Oh, it's so, I love that so much and, um, could not agree more. Um, I think you have to have, um, a sacred space to do your work. And when I was living in Chicago, I was there for almost a decade myself. And I mean, even if you're in, if you're sitting there and listening to this right now, but go and going, oh, easy for these girls to say they have their houses in Nashville and all these things. I had a 500 square foot place in Chicago. And let me tell you, I found a great little corner in that place and I made it a vibe. It was surrounded with it. Like there is a way, there is always a way. way. Oh my gosh. Yes. I've always like, our house is not, I don't like giant spaces. Actually, I grew up in a home with, you know, four people inside of it. So, um, I'm, I love making your space what you want it to be. And even if that is a teeny tiny little desk in a corner, you can still really start to create that environment and fill it with things that you really love. Okay, let's talk about that. I'm so curious to know what things like do you keep yep. around you? Because um, I know we share in common the connection to the moon and yes. energy I and just yep. all the woo woo <laughs> stuff. We definitely um, share that in common. So, do you keep certain things by you that have sort of been with you for uh, a long time? Yeah. You know, so I am not huge. I am not a person who gets attached to things. I'm actually not a materialistic person at all. Um, I, I do take pride, you know, in my home and having, you know, things that, that I love around, but I can detach from stuff very easily, but I do, I wear a lot of crystals. I feel like they're completely medicinal. And, you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But for me, they, I really feel an energetic difference. I am giving my energy out to people all day, every day in my business, and I am receiving their energy back. So wearing certain protective crystals, taking an Epsom salt bath at the end of the night, calling that energy back in is very important. Um, but in my, in my tiny home, I mean, I have, you know, a ton of crystals, plants that actually clean the air. My husband does artwork in our house and uses a type of paint that actually cleans the air. Um, I'm really big into the water I'm drinking, the air that I'm breathing, um, and really creating and cultivating a healthy environment. Um, I love, you know, having my favorite books around tarot cards. Um, good. I always burn Palo Santo every single day to kind of, I've never heard of Palo Santo. What? My mind is blown. Okay, here we go. Um, so this is Palo Santo smells so good. Little, these little sticks and it, it's like saging or smudging your environment and it just clears clears the energy out. You can, you know, smudge yourself. It smells Palo so incredible. What I don't use, you know, yes, I'll link yes. in the show notes. Palo Santo. I'm, I just got it. Uh, we, we're moving over to Scottsdale into Fountain Hills and I got a new place. Yeah. So I need to sage and yes, all of that. Do. So I'll use Palo Santo. When we do it every morning, it's very ritualistic. Uh, for my husband and I, we um, have our coffee chats in the morning. Like we get up, we both breathe, meditate. We work out if there's he does jujitsu every single day. So I usually work out in the morning or midday, but we go around in the morning and do Palo Santo, um, so much healthier than like spraying an artificial spray in your house or even burning candles that can sometimes have artificial fragrances. It's, it is seriously my favorite 
favorite sit? I'm telling you, I just learned something new and I'm so here for it. I love it. I love it. Okay. I love a sneak peek into your life. And we even got a little sneak peek into your morning ritual. So um, that makes me happy. Can I ask you about um, doubt? So when you sit down to write, you know, I... I'm getting better at balancing, you know, that little inner mean girl on my left shoulder that anytime I go to write an Instagram post or put something into my mentorship or write something into a slide, I'm literally thinking about Karen, right? Oh God, no, Karen's going to think, or, you know, you know, I'm going to be judged for this or, oop, that's me. Maybe, you know, saying a little too much. So when she shows up, how are you moving through it and with it? Because as a writer... (laughs) You are in your head all day long. So what tips do you have for us to sort of move through doubt and keep creating uh, the magic we we only have? Absolutely. I mean, doubt is just, I feel like, part of the process. Just like being a writer, if you want to be a published author and put your work out in the world, 99.9% of this industry, if you're doing it in a traditional sense, is rejection. It's around rejection. It's around doubt. It's, you know, I've put out countless books and every single one, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's not going to sell. No one's going to want it. What are people going to think? And I've really, you know, toughened that muscle. It's like your your physical muscles as well. Like you just start to be like, okay, cool. There's doubt on my shoulder. There's fear on my shoulder. But you move through it if you want it bad enough. If you really have something to say and wanting to put your work out in the world, you will never be able to put work out in the world in a beautiful container where no one has an opinion. Everyone's going to have an opinion. It's why I don't read my reviews. I used to be obsessed about reviews, right? It's like, they're not going to be a hundred percent good. They're not going to be a hundred percent bad. And if you're doing this for other people's validation, then you're putting work out for the wrong reason. You have to do it because you have something to say, because you have a message you want to put out in the world. And it will absolutely resonate with the right people when it's supposed to. And I think that's the thing about being a writer. You know, I have been very candid and open. Like sometimes I miss writing before I became a published author because there weren't these crazy expectations. There weren't you know, like I used to be able to just dream and imagine like, oh, this is what it's going to be like. And sometimes it doesn't turn out quite the way you thought it was going to be. So then, I, you know, over my journey, I've become very jaded, very disillusioned with the publishing industry. And it, it there was a point where it took away my joy so much that I was like, do I really want to keep doing this in this way? So I think it's constantly evolving and checking in with yourself and when you do start to doubt, is that you doubting yourself or is it you doubting what other people are going to think? And I think if you can constantly check in with yourself about that and see where that doubt's actually coming from, um, you can start to really push and work through it. Oh, I love that so much. It's a part, you know, listen, it's a part of the game. It's a part of it the is. process. Of it is. Yeah. And I love that you touched on one of the best pieces of advice I got was this don't read your reviews because here's what yeah. happens. You start creating work and things 
for the person that's probably never going to be on board and you lose all the people you already have. I mean, you could apply this to keynote speaking as well, right? Like if I focus on the one person in the audience that, you know, maybe has the resting bitch face who actually I could just be misreading her cue and that has happened to me, but you know what I mean? Then I, I lose all the people who are already with me. Right. And so I love that you validated, um, that because I agree. So, um, I do, I want to get into this is, so let's do it. You know, we've got folks listening who maybe have a a book on their heart or maybe they're writing a book and they, um, want to get started. So maybe we begin with something I find very interesting. Um, and we've had conversations about this on your podcast and you guys, if you haven't listened to my interview on Rhea's show, I talked to Rhea about, and we'll link up to it in the show notes. I can't remember what episode number I was, but it was just a few weeks ago. And again, we'll put it in the show notes, but Rhea asked me questions that I don't get asked a lot. And it's really was a deep dive on uh, my personal opinion and my personal experience on writing and publishing and what I learned, what would you say? Now I get to turn the tables and ask you these questions. So what would you say like the biggest misnomer is about writing a book? Writing a book or publishing a book? Okay. Publishing a book. Yeah. Publishing a book. Because writing a book, I mean, you just got to write the book. Got to write the book. That's number one. We Move all, forward you know, throughout the doubt. People, <laughs> 80% of people want to write a book. Uh, of all people want to write a book, but how many people actually sit down to do it? So yeah, yeah. that is step number one. But the biggest, I think the biggest misconception about being published, and I've experienced it firsthand, is that once you get a book deal or once you put the book out in the world that you're just going to like sell a million copies and be a New York <laughs> Times bestselling author and be on the Today Show. And I remember when I put out Not Her Daughter, which w- had a wonder, it was my technically my fiction debut. I'd had a book come out um, when I was 22, a novel. It was terrible. And I just pretended that didn't happen. But I remember when it came out, it did have a lot of fanfare. It did well, but everybody would ask my husband because at the time he did have a corporate job. And they're like, when are you going to quit your job? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And no one understands how you get paid as a traditionally published author, how infrequently you get paid actually, and really just how to turn it into a lucrative business. I think the money side of things is probably the most misunderstood aspect. Yeah, of this, I love of this that you started industry. there because I would agree with you. And even, you know, as you think of these bestseller lists and there's so many misnomers there and even the Today Show, I mean, guys, it's pay to play. Even a book in an airport, people write checks and yeah. get themselves onto lists yes. and not to say that some people don't end up there and of course there are so many people there that certainly deserve to be there but you can you can write a check and get yourself pretty much anywhere in any book you see in the airport you myself included yeah. i wrote a big old fat juicy check to get my books in those airports so yeah yeah well and here's something to understand. A lot of New York Times bestselling authors in the fiction space, yeah, you know, point. they don't um, personal pay to get on the advice. list and yep, they're just like point. surprised to be on the list. Right. But, but I have talked to so many authors who made the list. So say you make the New York Times, New York Times bestselling list, which really means you sold seven first to 10,000 copies in that first week. And I've talked to so many authors who sold, you know, 7,000 copies that first week, never sold 
another copy after that, never saw a dime of royalties. And then there are other authors, more mid-list authors, authors with longer sales tales who've sold hundreds of thousands of copies of books and have never made that list, nor will they ever make that list, but they have made money. They are selling better. And yet we revere the, goes. the USA Today bestsellers, the New York Times bestsellers. It's, it's someone decided that in order to be a successful, quote unquote, successful, legitimate writer, you either make that list or you're really not relevant. And I think that's total bullshit. And I'm really trying to change that narrative and put the onus back on the writer of like, what, what does success mean to you? What does it look like to you? Um, because a lot of times it's actually not making the list. It's not making the today show at all. And so like really digging into your goals, if you want to write a book, start there, start with, of course, writing a good book, or if you're nonfiction, writing a great nonfiction book proposal, and then really figuring out why you're doing it in the first place. I call that your big why, but dig into why you're doing this. And if you can really figure that out and figure out what your goals are, then you can choose the right publication path for you and start to kind of control and dictate your journey, your author journey versus just being thrown into it, going into it blind, having unrealistic expectations, and then more than likely being disappointed along the way. Right. It's so beautiful. Thank you for that. And, you know, I love that permission slip also, because I think so many people assume they don't hit a list. It is a perceived oh failure, right. definitely in my space, you know, I'll the keynote this. speaking space. It's like, right. oh, I'm a oh Wall Street Journal, I'm a this, and it's like, oh my God. And, you know, I've walked that where you think, oh my gosh, you know, maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe, you know, oh God, will I ever work again? Or no one's going to put me on that stage. Or, you you know, it, it is such a mental game. So, you know, I love that you're helping people sort that out. And there's typically in the publishing world, Rhea, three sort of avenues someone could go. So there's like the self-publishing route, um, Amazon KDP, yes. and I think that may be it, or the likes of that. And then there's like the hybrid sure. model, which is something I did, a uh, little bit a la carte. And then there's the traditional, which you have a lot of experience in. Could you give us like the Cliff Notes version of what all three of those of those are and maybe what pros are and cons are? Yes. Okay. So I'm actually going to start with traditional publishing because that's what most people want. They want you know, the literary agent, the book deal, what that actually means is that usually someone, an editor from a publishing house is paying you for your book. So they are giving you an amount of money, which is called an advance in order for them to publish your book. The advantage of a traditional publisher is that you typically get national distribution in nationwide bookstores. You can sell your books overseas and foreign territories, which actually has, you know, a, an amazing reach. Um, there are film, movie, TV opportunities for you to you know, sell your, sell your TV rights, sell your movie rights. Um, and typically you just get more exposure because you have an in-house, in-house publicist, in-house sales and marketing team, an in-house editor. You have a team that is going to be helping you get your book out there. So 
ideally in a perfect world, you write the book and then your team helps you market the book. These days, you as the author are still working so hard, spending so much money to market, promote, and sell your book. But yes, you do have a team and you are hopefully making some sort of money along the way. And that is traditionally what people want. They want that validation, you know, of being able to say, oh, I'm published by Penguin Random House. I'm published by Simon & Schuster. I'm published by Macmillan. Um, So that is, you know, in a nutshell, the traditional publishing market. The opposite of that is self-publishing. And I think self-publishing is going to just continue to get more and more and more popular. It's becoming way more mainstream. I have so many authors who are like, I don't want to wait on the traditional publishing world to say yes or no to me. I want to put my book out next month or in two months. I don't want to wait one to two years. So self-publishing, you are in control. You own your material. You can put it out whenever you want it, but you are responsible for the editing of your manuscripts, the copy editing, the proofreading, the cover design, the formatting, getting it just perfect and ready to go. You can hire people, outsource people to do that. But the biggest mistake I see people make with self-publishing is they don't have a marketing plan. They don't have any sort of launch plan, and they don't have a set of people, readers, to promote their book to. You have to have readers. You have to connect with readers, whether you are self-publishing or traditional publishing. It starts with connecting with your readers before you have a product to sell. So when self-publishing doesn't work well, that's usually why. The self-publishing authors who do really well, I feel like they have their reader base they have a very um, nice ad spend budget. So they are buying ads on Amazon, ads on Instagram, and then they just get to focus on writing their next book. So they publish their book, they have some ads, and they really start to see sales, hopefully. Um, The other option, hybrid, I'm not a giant fan of. I'm a giant fan of it in theory, where you're getting the best of the traditional publishing world the best of the self-publishing world. And it's kind of this, I mean, it's a hybrid of, you get a little bit of help from a team, but you're still paying money and you're also still in control. I've had a lot of authors go through a lot of horror stories with hybrids who totally ripped them off. They paid all this money. They never saw their, they never saw another dime. They never saw their books come out. So my biggest thing, my biggest piece of advice would be, again, go back to why you're doing this, really look into each path and figure out which one makes sense for you. Um, The question I often ask that dictates it a lot of times is, you know, are you willing to wait one to two years for your book to come out? And if not, then traditional publishing is 100% not for you. And also with traditional publishing, though, the biggest deterrent to not being picked, quote unquote, picked by an agent or a publisher is the strength of that author platform. So I hate to say like, you know, that followers don't matter because I'm I'm very anti all that stuff. I would think writers should be able to be writers, but agents and, and editors are really looking at your community, whether it's online or offline, How many followers do you have? Where are you showing up in person? They want to ensure that if they take a chance on you and pay you for your book, that you have an audience who actually wants to buy it. So there are all types of factors that go into it. And that's what I give free consults with my business. And we really 
walk through, you know, your goals and why you're doing this and, and try to figure out which publication path is right. Oh, I mean, all stuff um, I wish I had more of when I began the process, but I also think going through it, you learn so much. You know, I'll say that, you know, and I'll link up to a hybrid publisher and they are one of the good ones. And let me tell you, Greenleaf is great. Greenleaf is wonderful. Yes. To your beautiful point, guys, do your homework, even the self-publishing route. When you start to branch out to editors and designers, you know, you do get what you pay for. So if you're going (laughs) to, you know, make sure you're working with people who do quality work that have references and you are going to need that help. Rhea, I got to tell you, I think one of my favorite parts, um, and I'll never forget when Homeboy came back, came out, my book, uh, Fears My Homeboy, I uh, sent her flowers. She was my developmental editor. So yes. basically yeah. before, like this person taking my body of work and going, oh, oh, that is so great. Now we're going to go make it a book, right? Like, and I mean that with love. (laughs) Here's how we're going to make it a book. Here's the thing. If you want to put your book out into the world, I see it all the time. It's actually why we stopped working with fiction authors at Right Way because fiction writers, I am a fiction writer myself, but we are so precious about our material. If you are not ready for your book to change, for your book to up level in some way, you are not ready to put it out into the world. You have to be willing to let professionals help you along the way. Now with self-publishing, you don't have to hire an editor if you don't want to, but I would strongly suggest having someone with an editorial eye who does not live in your family or in your house. Yes. Give you feedback on your book because you want it to be the best that it can be. And you, you have to be willing for it to change. You, you just have to, um, the first draft is, I mean, I don't know anyone who publishes a first draft of anything. So really making sure you have, you know, joining a great writers group, finding an editor or beta readers, you know, who will give you very honest feedback. If you're in this for your ego and for someone to tell you what a great writer you are, again, I don't think you can rise to the level that you need to, to put your work out there, whether you're self-publishing or being traditionally published. Yes. Yes. Here, here to that. I'll never forget April. uh, Shout out April Murphy giving me my first round. She's like, all right, you ready? And it was like a lot of red, but oh yeah, I got to tell you, Rhea, like I feel like going through that process with her, um, gosh, it's been almost four years now. Fierce My Homeboy turns three in May. Yes, so, we, gosh, we started writing a year before, um, yeah. like really writing it. I feel like my emails are better. My Instagram posts are better. Just the way you tee things up and how you end a chapter should sort of moon, like, you know, sunset on what's coming up the next chapter. And you really, especially in personal development, I learned like more use, less eyes, right? How do I find a way to take the time to really think differently about how I use my words? And it's just writing to me. um, I'm, I, I still consider myself a novice. So I'm just so in a so blown away um, by career writers like yourself who have this ability. I mean, your book, Secrets of Our House, the main character, I'm blanking on her name right now. (laughs) Yes. She, I mean, the way you wrote her and the way it triggered so many things in me, I mean, that is a gift. So I thank you for that. And I love that you're out 
Tell me, okay, so I've got to talk. We also share in common. I'm new to the game, uh, but you're a gymnast. And I want to know like how much, because for me, it's cracking everything open. And I know you've been um, since a young age because you are an athlete and you did train in in a gym um, and want to be an Olympian. Um, I mean, what's your weightlifting game like these days? Because I don't know about you, but lifting weights, I started in November. So I'm new. I'm a baby at this, but boy, it is the confidence, the oh, control, yeah. the yes. swagger, um, yep. that it, I, I wish I did this 10 years ago. Uh, but I'm well, so you say that, but your body's probably thinking you that you're getting into it now. I <sighs> have been lifting weight since I was 13 oh. years old, like gym lifting, like pretty, pretty hardcore. I, you know, I was a personal trainer actually for 15 years and a nutritionist and I co-owned a gym before I started my business. So I was a gym rat. I was always in the gym, always, you know, lifting, lifting, lifting. Um, however, I've actually had a bit of a switch since the pandemic hit or when the pandemic hit, I was like, Oh God, if I can't be in a gym, what do you do? which was my mentality, yeah. <laughs> what do I do? So we converted our garage to a gym, but I've always been someone like, I like the community of the gym. I like, yeah. you know, I like going and being and showing up. Same. However, the, these last two years I have loved again, cultivating, creating my own space, but I, you know, actually backed off of lifting um, got more into yoga and Pilates because I have beat, I was a CrossFitter. I was, I mean, I have, I was a boxer, a competitive boxer for five years. I've beat my body to a pulp. So now I'm. You're in the recovery. Yeah. Really thinking about preservation, but like, I love lifting. However, I put on muscle extremely easily so I can get really bulky really fast and, and <laughs> try to, you know, I'm just experimenting and playing around with more functional training, um, doing a lot more, a lot more movements that really, really feel good to me. And also since I've started, I mean, this is way too personal, but cycle syncing my cycle to how I should be eating, how I should be exercising week by week. It changes. You cannot lift all month. You're actually only supposed to lift weights like two weeks out of the month. And so I've actually been able to really tweak my routine to how I'm feeling and not put these shoulds on myself. Oh, well, I should lift today. I have to lift today. I actually now started to check in with my body and figure out what I need. Um, so I've, I've developed a much healthier relationship with how I move my body when I rest, rest is so crucial and so critical. Um, and, but it's, I mean, movement exercise to me is like breathing. I mean, it's always been part of my DNA. It always will be. And I think, you know, we always may like, Oh, I don't have time to work out. And it's like, Oh yeah, you do. You're, you spend four hours yeah, on you your do. phone every day on average. Like it's a non-negotiable it. We are made to move. Made to we are made move. to move all day, um, every day. So it's, it's so, so, so vital, I think to overall mental health and well-being. 
I agree. And I th- love that the, you have a, a fitness fitness practice and it may look different these days, but also a mental fitness practice, because I feel like when I was reckoning with everything during COVID have come through, you know, whether I'm hiking up a mountain or um, walking through my neighborhood or literally lifting, lifting weights or hopping on my Peloton, like the, uh, things come to me. I mean, so many chapters of my book yeah. were sort of, I, ca- I keep a notebook on my Peloton. Like, so when yes. I'm writing, I literally, things will come to me or instructor yes. say something. I'm like, oh, I could spin it this way, or that would be a great yes. chapter title, or I'd never thought about this. Like, you know, but again, I think creative human beings and really as writers, our job, you know, if you are creating intellectual property for a living, comedians do this really well. And my background in comedy has helped me. We all see the same things. I just look at them differently. I find the same things that are happening to me at the grocery store are happening to you. I look at them differently. I write them down. I find a way to turn it into a metaphor, a story, an Instagram post. And I'm not saying I'm better than you because of that. I'm just saying I, it's a job, right? And so I think about it that way. And whether you're a writer, writer, a comedy writer, or a novelist like Aria here, I think we're always looking for opportunities uh, to take what's happening to us in our lives and use it to help others um, either shave off some of the learning curve or inspire them to think differently about their own lives. I mean, what a gift to be able to do that for a living. You know what I mean? And you're doing it so well, my friend. Well, thank you. (laughs) You're so welcome. Okay. So, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you about working out offline. We'll talk about, I don't know, I would love macros. Do you do the macros thing? I want to know what your diet, like, what are you counting calories? I mean, there's so many things that it's easy to micromanage. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's so funny too, because I was plant, I was plant-based for most of my life. Actually, I had a vegan pregnancy and all that. And now we're completely the opposite because I started not feeling great. And I think a lot of times we can adopt these different diets or ways of eating without intuitively listening to what our bodies really need. Um, And we do it almost to a detriment of like just being able to have that label of like, I'm a vegan, I'm a vegetarian, I'm paleo, I'm a paleo, I'm keto. Um, So we now like really listen to our bodies. And again, if you're a woman, you don't need to eat the same way the entire month. Every single week of your cycle, you need something different. There is an amazing book called In the Flow, FLO, that has absolutely changed my life, my work life, my eating life, my exercise life. Because week by week, we have to look at what we need and what we need is different from the week before it. And it is so, it just gives so much variety and so much opportunity to learn, to connect with how you're actually feeling and, and what you actually, you know, could be doing to optimize your overall health. Ooh, that's so good. In the flow, y'all, I'll put that juicy. It is. I'm telling you, life-changing. Okay. I don't say that about a lot of books, but this one, I, I wish I had discovered it 20 years ago. It's amazing. Damn, that's going right in my yep. Amazon shopping cart. Um, and I'm going to include in the show notes, all things Rhea Fry, all ways to connect with her, listen to her podcast, work with her, buy her books. Um, Rhea, um, before I ask you my final question that I ask everyone, and I cannot wait, <laughs> how can we work with you? What do you have going on right now? Any offerings, anything I need to know? What do yes. you... What 
what can we know yes. well, about you? And all, how do we get our hands on you? We always, or I always offer free consultations. I think that's very important to just sit with you, figure out what it is you want to do beyond just writing a book. So everything exists on our website, which is rightwayco.com, W-R-I-T-E-W-A-Y-C-O.com. We're pretty old school that way. Like all the information is there, always to schedule calls, to work with me one-on-one. All of our services are there. Um, so it all exists under that umbrella. I love it. We will link up to all things. And I love, and you know what? I don't think the the website is old school. I know a girl uh, who has a had a pretty massive following, lose it all on Facebook and Instagram oh, yeah. overnight. So you bet your bottom dollar. You better have a good, yes, you better have a good list. You better have a great website and you've got all those things, which is so awesome. So Rhea, you are here not only because I adore you, I'm a fan and certainly shouting, um, out your work from the rooftops whenever I get the chance. Um, but you're here also because you live a yes and life, right? You really model uh, the transformative power of and. And so the name of this podcast is Yes And. So I'd love to know when I offer you those two words, like what comes up and what does it mean to you and for you? Yes. I mean, yes. And is honestly how I live my life today. I think it's so easy to be black and white, either, or this label or that label. And instead it is truly all encompassing of being in the flow of living in the flow of making room for other possibilities. I think in in the past, I've been so rigid about like, this is how I have to live. And this is what I'm doing. And I have to, if I say yes to this, then this opportunity just falls away. And to me, I think yes, and can also make room for no, and really putting up those boundaries in your life. I think that space that it creates can be to say no to certain things and to really honor who you are and how you want to value your time. Um, I think it's just such a beautiful phrase to, to live your life in the way that you live your life, the way you work, the way you love, the, the way you, you, again, you just live and show up from day to day. Yes. And I think that's a mic drop moment right there. You nailed that. I love that so much, both. And, and, um, yes, and can absolutely be a no, right. It can be a boundary and, Let me tell you, in order to put out a book into the world, to write, to create anything that's on your heart, you got to have those boundaries. Yes, hand can help you because I know you're doing it. Biggest boundaries. (laughs) Lots of boundaries. (laughs) Boundaries. So important. important. Yes, yes. Well, um, Rhea, thank you for stopping by. You are fabulous. Uh, Guys, we're going to link up to all things Rhea Fry in the show notes. But babe, you're just a light. So thank you for your work and thank you for being here. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, y'all. I mean, right? Right? Ugh. So good. And her answer to yes and was everything because yes and can be a no. It doesn't mean we say yes to everything and agree to everything. It means we agree, we accept what we've been given and we decide what we get to do next with it, right? And that is 
a powerful shift. So I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway was here today. My goodness, talk to me on Instagram, or you can always send an email to hello at judyholler.com with your show ideas, feedback, and inspiration. And yo, if you love this episode or found any value at all, it would mean the world to me, babe. If you would review it on iTunes, just jump in. Two seconds, hit the five-star button, okay? And write five words. This podcast was awesome. Was that five words? This podcast was awesome. Okay, that's four words, exclamation point. There we go. We'll get five five in there. Uh, But that easy, that quick. Or pass it on to someone you love. Uh, Share it with a friend. It means the world. So thank you for listening. Thank you for spending your time here with Rhea and myself. And until we meet again next week, you better keep kicking open those doors, babe. We'll see you next week and scene.